Good morning, everybody. Welcome to ACF. Can we just celebrate being together in the house of God, being together here? If you're online with us, we are so glad that you're with us today. We love you, and uh, thank you for being with us. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new to ACF, maybe it's your first time coming today, we just want to say we are so glad that you are with us today. Maybe it's your first time watching right now. Thank you for jumping on. And, and I don't know why you're here. I don't know why you're online right now. Uh, maybe someone drug you here. Uh, maybe your mom made you come. You didn't really want to come. But we are glad you're here today. And we believe that everyone in this room, everybody watching online right now, Uh, that we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. We're all on this faith journey. And, and, and it doesn't matter if you would say like, oh, I'm not a person of faith. I don't believe in God. That's okay. That, we would say you're still on a faith journey. And maybe you've been following Jesus for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. You're still on a journey. And every single one of us is on a journey. And we're all at different places on this journey. And so I believe that God has something for each and every one of us today, right where we're at. Uh, it doesn't matter where you're at in this journey. We are glad that you're, you are here with us today. We are glad that you guys are watching online. And I believe we're going to go somewhere together today. You have to forgive me. My voice is a little scratchy. I've been yelling a lot this weekend. My Seattle Mariners made it to the playoffs for the first time in 21 years and uh, swept, the, swept Toronto Blue Jays. So, uh, yes, I've been yelling a lot. So, sorry, my voice is scratchy. Sorry, not sorry, but uh, we've been in a series over the last several weeks called God's Not Fair, and we've been talking about this idea, this truth that God isn't fair, but that's a good thing. We don't actually want fair. Uh, several weeks ago, we talked about God's not fair, he's generous. Right, last week, we talked about God's not fair, he's just. And that we don't actually want fair because what's fair is for God to be God and for all of us to never be able to interact with him ever because of our wickedness and his holiness. So we've been talking about how God is not fair, but that's actually a good thing. And today we're going to talk about this, these two dueling concepts and how they both are very essential to the Christian worldview. And not just the Christian worldview, but the kingdom of God, the reality of the kingdom of God. And it is this, that the kingdom of God is both simultaneously inclusive for everyone and exclusive to everyone at the exact same time. The kingdom of God is both inclusive and exclusive. And what we're going to see today, that understanding this concept, understanding this dichotomy of reality with the kingdom of God is very, very important for the believer, especially But it's also very, very important for those who would say they don't believe in Jesus. Because there's probably one of the reasons you would say, I don't believe in God or I don't believe in Jesus. You, you probably would lean towards one way or the other with this reality and say, this is a problem. This isn't fair. You see, if, if we don't get this right, church, if we don't get this right and we don't get what correctly, the idea of inclusivity and exclusivity, and we don't walk this fine line correctly, what ends up happening is we can lead people away from the kingdom of God when we actually are trying to lead people into the kingdom of God. But if we land in the camp of inclusivity or we land in the camp of exclusivity too far, one without the other, we'll lead people away from the kingdom of God. And, and in reality, we might even lead ourselves away from the kingdom of God. And so this is a very... Uh, very important concept for us to get 
Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there. If you have a Bible on your phone, grab your phone out and pull it out. The scripture will be behind me on the screen, but I want to invite you to read along with me as we go through this passage today. While you're pulling out your Bibles, I want to set the scene for you in Matthew chapter 22. See, what's happened is Jesus has had three years of ministry happening. And over the three years, he's really made a particular group, especially uh, people, really angry, and that is the Pharisees. And if you don't know much about church, you don't, you didn't, maybe you didn't grow up in church, um, and you don't know who the Pharisees are. Well, who the Pharisees are is they are uh, uh, the religious leaders of the day. Now, the Pharisees, are, they're not like pastors. It's very different. For the Jews, these religious leaders, like they held the keys for the people to really experience the righteousness of God. It's like the, the Pharisees were the ones to determine, no, you haven't been living your life good enough, or yes, you have been living your life good enough. The Pharisees were, were the ones that, that kind of made sure that Israel was supposed to be following the God. Like they took on this burden upon themselves. And when they did this, they actually put a heavy burden on the people. They would give them extra rules that they had to follow, extra laws. And, and they really made it difficult for the people of God, uh, for Israel to experience God. And, and they, they began to really like this power. They began to really enjoy this power. Like, they were part of this elite club. And, and, and they were part of this elite club. Like, to, be part of, to become a Pharisee was insanely difficult. You had to, like, have the Torah memorized by, like, age 10. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Like, 10-year-olds with it completely memorized. That was, like, step one to be a Pharisee. And so it was a really big deal, but they ended up being kind of power-hungry. And so Jesus shows up to the scene, and he starts, like, completely usurping their power, completely not doing the things that he's supposed to do as a good Jewish rabbi because, you know, the Pharisees said so. And this really angers them. And so what happens, he has three years of ministry, and then there comes this pivotal moment in Jesus' life where he enters Jerusalem for the last time. Now, the people don't know it's the last time, but he knows this is the last time he's going to enter in Jerusalem. And as he enters, he enters in on a donkey, and people are praising him, and they're saying, Hosanna, and we know this is Palm Sunday, and, and everyone's excited that Jesus is entering into the holy city, this great teacher, and there's this big hubbub about Jesus coming in, and the people are excited because they think Jesus is coming in to start a revolution and a revolt against Rome. What they didn't understand is Jesus was coming in to start a revolution and a revolt, but it wasn't against Rome. It was against sin and death, something far greater. And so Jesus enters in the city. The people are excited. Then he goes to the temple to teach. And as he shows up at the temple to teach, you have the Pharisees that show up, and they're there to listen to him, but they're really there to trap him in his words. They want to entrap Jesus. They think that they're so smart they're going to be able to paint Jesus in a corner. And, of course, the Pharisees keep lobbing in these questions to entrap him, and Jesus keeps, like, knocking them out of the park. And he, and he ends up painting them into a corner with their own words. It's a brilliant conversation in Matthew 20, 21, 22, that we see of these conversations that Jesus is having with these Pharisees. And that's where we pick up the story today. The Pharisees ask Jesus, like, by what authority do you dare come in here and teach? And, and, and they, they're trying to trick him. And then Jesus kind of answers their question with this story. We're here in Matthew 22, starting in verse 1. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding for a banquet for his son. He sent the servants to summon those invited to the banquet. 
but they didn't want to come. Again, Jesus sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent out his troops, killed the murderers, and burned down their city. Then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go to where the road exits the city and invite everyone, to fi- uh, everyone you find to the banquet. So the servants went out onto the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen." It's an interesting story Jesus tells these Pharisees, and we're going to get to what the point he's really trying to drive home. But before we get into that, I just have a question for you. Has anyone in this room ever been part of an exclusive club? Ever been part of an exclusive club? Anybody watching right now, you ever been part of an exclusive club? Maybe you've been part of like the Million Mile Flyers Club? It's a pretty exclusive club to be a part of, right? Like when you become part of an exclusive club, you kind of feel just uh, you know, a little bit better about yourself when, when you're able to rock that club, Right? Like, I know, I know there's people in this room, and I know there's people watching right now who have been part of exclusive clubs. And in fact, some of you are part of such exclusive clubs, you'll, like, wear things on your clothes so people know you're part of exclusive club. Like, maybe you've put on one of these before because you're part of an exclusive club, right? Come on, who's part of this exclusive club? Like, and when you wear your exclusive club patch, you know you're just a little bit better than the people who are not wearing their exclusive club patch, right? Maybe you're part of this exclusive club. Like, you know how to play in the snow really well, right? And, and yeah, okay, you're in Alaska, but when I go down to, like, the lower 48 and I wear my exclusive club patch, I know I'm better than everyone around me. It's just, you know, how I know things are. And if you're part of this exclusive club, okay, we get it. You're better than us all, all right? We get it. Just side note, I did ask, like, hey, what are, what are some Air Force exclusive club patches? And I was told there aren't any. So that is just... <laughs> What I was told, I was told everyone is part of their club, okay? No exclusivity. That's what I was told. Being part of an exclusive club can make you feel better than those around you. I remember when I was younger, I was part of an exclusive club. Like, I was part of a club that was so exclusive and so elite. Our job, listen to this, our job was to make sure that kids got to school without dying, I'm not joking. This is what we did. Our job was to make sure that kids, elementary kids, got to school without dying. We were called safety patrol. Safety patrol. That's right. You know. I was part of safety patrol. Our job was to go outside, and we had big vests and stop signs, and we had to make sure that those elementary kids could cross the crosswalk without being smashed by cars. It was a dangerous job, but we were up to the task. Right, Whether hot blazing sun or pouring down rain, we were out there. Well, if it was pouring down rain, they didn't want the kids to get all wet, so we actually got to skip that day. But if it was drizzling, we were out there protecting the kids. 
Right now, I remember being part of safety patrol and we gotta leave school early, right? Because we had to get to the crosswalk before school got out. So my teacher would come in when it was like my week to be on safety patrol. She'd be like, Josh, uh, you can go ahead and start packing up your gear. It's time for you to go. And I remember packing up my backpack, hitting the door and be like, later, losers. <laughs> I'm out. I got to go protect the world because I'm awesome. I'm part of safety patrol. And I got to remember like at, at the end of the year, they had this big safety patrol party and we got to go to the water slides during school. Like, we were awesome. We were, I remember sitting in the hot tub, literally, with all the other safety patrol kids. We're like, how awesome is it that we're here and those losers are there, right? Like, they're in school. We're out here enjoying ourselves. Being part of an elite club can make you feel like you're better than others. Being part of exclusive clubs. And this is what the point is that Jesus is trying to drive home to these Pharisees as he's talking to them. Like, you guys think that you're just so awesome and part of such this great club that you're just completely missing the point. See, the point is that the kingdom of God is both inclusive and exclusive at the same time. See, the kingdom of God is inclusive. All are invited. All are invited. Did you hear the words in this story? The king tells his servants, invite everyone you find. Invite everyone you find. So the servants go out and they just start inviting everybody to this party. And the Pharisees, they didn't like this. They liked their power. They liked their exclusivity. They thought they earned something to this wedding party, this banquet. They thought they earned their seat at the table. In fact, the Pharisees not only thought they earned their seat at the table, they thought they earned a seat at the head table because, you know, we're just so good and so awesome and part of such an elite, exclusive club. And Jesus is saying, no, everyone has been invited. Even for the Jews in general, this was a real countercultural thing. See, the Jews were the children of God, the chosen ones, us, not them. Right? And, and even within the Jewish culture, you did have your like, circles of exclusivity. It's like, oh, you have the Jews that follow the law, and then you got these terrible Jews over here, these prostitutes, these tax collectors, these lepers who get leprosy. And of course they got leprosy because of the sin in their life, and they, they're getting what they deserve. And so even within the Jewish culture, there was this like, exclusivity rings. But the Jews, they were... They, they just thought that they were better than the world around them. And Jesus shows up going, no, all are invited to this party, and it's so countercultural. See, Jesus starts teaching these things, and, and there's this one moment where this Pharisee comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, and he actually, this Pharisee wants to learn from Jesus. He wants to know the truth. And so, but he comes at night so his identity won't be revealed, and the other Pharisees won't see him talking to Jesus and they're, they're talking about eternal life. They're talking about the kingdom of God. And this is the most famous passage in all of the Bible, I would argue. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he's like, Nicodemus, listen, you got to understand that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Right? He's, he's like, Nicodemus, you don't get it. It's whoever would believe in Jesus. The invitation goes out to everyone. It is a, an, an inclusive invitation. But again, the Pharisees thought that they were so special and that they deserve to be where they're at. And the thing is, we can get the same way. When we think we're special, we kind of desire exclusion. Right? When I think I'm special, I desire exclusion. 
man, I worked so hard for that airborne patch. Not anybody gets to put that on that patch. And that's true. That's a, that's a true statement. But we can think that we're special, right? Like, oh, no, I'm a follower of God. I work really hard to be here on church and to read my Bible and to pray. Like, there's just something a little exclusive that I'm a part of that you don't get to be a part of because you don't do that stuff. And so we can desire exclusion when we think we're special. But the kingdom of God, this, this invitation is for everybody. In fact, I, I remember, I think about this, my, one of my favorite shows when I was a kid growing up. I still watch it every year, this time of year. It is the Charlie Brown Great Pumpkin TV show. Anybody seen Charlie Brown Great? It's a Great Pumpkin show. I love this show. I watch it every year. Some of my earliest memories that I can remember go back to watching this with my grandma and I watch it with my kids still every year. And there's this, if you've never seen him before, if you know Charlie Brown, he's like the lovable loser of the gang. And Lucy, his friend, always reminds him that he's the loser of the gang. And there's this moment where Charlie Brown goes to check the mail. And when he goes out to check the mail, he, there's an invitation to a party in the mail. He opens the invitation and he gets invited to a Halloween party. And he starts dancing. He's so excited. He's never been invited to a party before. He can't believe it. And Lucy's looking at him very perplexed. And she snatches the invitation out of, her, out of his hand. And she reads it. And she says, Charlie Brown, if you got an invitation, it was a mistake. She said, there were two lists, one to invite and one not to invite. You got put on the wrong list. And I wonder in our lives... I wonder in our lives, if we'd be honest with ourselves, how many of us have lists when it comes to the kingdom of God? One to invite and one not to invite. And I think we would argue and go, whoa, whoa, hold on, Josh. I don't have anybody on my not to invite list for the kingdom of God. No, everyone's invited. I know that. But if we're really honest with ourselves, it might be a small list, but there, do you have a list of not to invite? Right? Maybe it was that parent that hurt you when you were a kid. Never apologized. Still hurting you in your life, even as an adult. Maybe they're on your not-to-invite list. Right? Maybe it's those people that vote a certain way. And it's like, well, they're on the not-to-invite list. But trust me, God is the one that put them on the not-to-invite list, not even me. How, you know, they, they vote this way. That means they hate people and they vote that way. That means they hate God. And so they're on the not to invite list. You know, maybe it was, a, it was someone who, who just hurt you in life. Maybe it was someone who cheated you. Maybe it was a boss that just continues to overlook you because of your gender, because of your ethnicity, and you never get the promotion. But they're on the not to invite list. It's a small list, but there's a list of not to invite. Well, I'll tell you, this is how the Pharisees were. They had the not to invite list but Jesus tells this story, and he's like, no, no, no. The king says, invite everyone you can possibly find. See, the invitation to this party is an inclusive invitation for everybody. And it's interesting, right? What does Jesus actually say in this story? That all were invited, both good and evil people were invited to the party. It's amazing. But the kingdom of God is exclusive. You must dress for the wedding. You must dress for the wedding. What does that mean? We look back to our scripture, starting in verse 11. It says, when the king came to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. 
So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an interesting part of this story. I remember when I was growing up, going to church. I grew up going to church pretty much my whole life. And I remember, I've heard this story before, and I remember thinking, how cruel is this king? How cruel is this king? He goes and he invites all these poor people to his wedding party, right? These poor people probably can't afford wedding clothes. These poor people show up, and then they don't have the right clothes, and so they get thrown out, tied up into outer darkness like this is not okay. This is like some sick joke or game the king's playing. Like, sure, if he invites the wealthy people, they should show up in their best dress. But poor people, they don't have best dress. How is this okay? And I remember thinking that and then starting to study and go, okay, what is really going on here? This, this is not God, so I'm the one who's wrong, right? I think oftentimes when we see God as evil through Scripture, that means we're not understanding the Scripture correctly. Not that God is evil. And so I'm like, okay, what's going on here? I need to understand this. And what I started to learn and what I started to understand is in, 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 in this situation of something like this, this very extremely wealthy person invites very poor people to his party, uh, he provides them the clothes. So every poor person showing up, every person living on the roads that are leaving the city where, where the poor live, every person showing up has been given wedding clothes. Here are your wedding clothes. Please put these on. Here are your wedding clothes. Put these on. And so well, you have all these people showing up to the party, and they're putting on the wedding clothes. See, what I learned and what I understand is the king provides what you need to get into the wedding. The king provides what you need. And so you have all these people showing up, putting on the wedding clothes. But then this guy shows up. He's like, yeah, I don't want to put on the wedding clothes. I'm just going to wear what I want to wear. I don't want to change. This was an act of defiance towards the king. Like, well, what's the big deal about wedding clothes? Why is this such a big deal? In their culture, it was a really big deal to come dress the way you're supposed to be dressed. But in this parable, it's even a bigger deal. See, when Jesus is talking about wedding clothes, what he's talking about is righteousness. He's talking about righteousness. So what he's saying is, come, put on the righteousness of the king. The king provides all that you need. He's provided you the righteousness you need. Put it on and come into the party. But this guy shows up. He's like, I don't want to put on the king's righteousness. I, I want to bring my own righteousness to this party. I want to wear what I want to wear. I don't think the king's righteousness is very comfortable. I don't think, uh, you know, I, I want to put that on. I'm more comfortable in what I'm wearing. I just don't want to change. I just don't want to change. I don't want to put on the king's righteousness. And so this is a, a, a willful act of defiance by this guest who's been invited to the party but then refuses to put on the righteousness of the king or the wedding clothes from the king. And, and so when you see it in that light, you will start to understand, oh, there's something to this here. There's an exclusivity to this party. The invitation goes out to everybody, but to get in, there's, a, there's a only one way to get in, and you must put on the wedding clothes from the king. And you start to see, okay, there's an exclusivity to getting into the party. And, and Jesus talks about this exclusivity over and over again. He talks about it when he talks about himself. We see in John 10, 9. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I, I am the gate. No other gate. 
John 14, 6, you maybe heard this before. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's an exclusive claim of Jesus that there aren't many ways to get into this party. There's not many doors to get into. You can't just kind of work your way in. Oh, you got invited. Oh, just come on in. No, there, there's expectations that are had to get into the party. You've been invited, but now you have to put on the wedding clothes. It is highly exclusive to get into this party. I just, side note, I love how when God talks, or when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's, he's always talking about it like a party, right? We need to understand, church, this is a party. This is a good thing that we get to be a part of, that we're going to, that we're waiting for, that we hope for. And yet we need to understand that there's an invitation And not everyone even knows that they're invited. And yet there's an exclusivity to actually getting in to this party. And and here's the thing. The exclusivity to get into the party, we need to understand this is a good thing. Exclusivity into the party, it's a good thing. At first glance, it seems kind of harsh. At first glance, it kind of seems hard. In fact, I would probably argue that this is one of the reasons, uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that this might be something that you push up against. Oh, it's, it's Christians are so close-minded, right? Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've said that before. Christians are so close-minded. It's only Jesus. Like, he's the only way. No, there's other ways to get to heaven. Maybe you've heard this before, like, all roads lead to God, right? Anybody heard that before? All roads lead to God? This is very popular to say in our culture right now. It's, it's okay. Like, all roads lead to God. But the problem is, even the people who say that don't believe that. Right, like If all roads lead to God, then me working really hard to be good, to be kind to the people around me, to pay my taxes, to help my neighbor, like those are, those, that road leads to God. Those are good things. All right, that road leads to God. But what if a different road leads to God? Like you're saying all roads lead to God? What about like the road of like, uh, you know, someone who steals from their neighbor? Someone who, who's very racist and hates you know, certain people for the color of their skin. Does that road lead to God? Like, what about Hitler's road? Did Hitler's road lead him to God? Like, do all roads really lead to God? See, even in that claim of, uh, of all roads lead to God, people still have exclusivity in mind when they say that. They don't really mean all roads lead to God, right? So even in, in, in a culture that doesn't believe that there's one way to God, they still believe in exclusivity, Right? And the idea that it's exclusive way to get into this party, that also is good news because what that means is I don't have to search my whole life trying to find some way to get into heaven. I don't have to wander around this party trying to figure out how to get in. It is very clear. It is through Jesus. It's very clear. I don't have to wonder, I hope I'm doing the right thing. I hope I'm being good enough, right? Well, Not all roads lead to heaven, Josh, but like good roads. People have to be good to get into heaven. Okay, by whose standards then? Whose standards of good? Like my standards of good? Your standards of good? Because the reality is I barely keep my own standards of good. Like when someone goes flying by me at like 80 miles on the highway, I hope there's a cop up there to pull them over. If that's you, I hope you get pulled over. Except when I drive 80 miles down the highway, now I hope there's no cops around because I'm late and I have a justified reason for driving the speed that I do. Right? Like we don't even hold our own standards of good up. 
So by whose standards of good? By your standards? By their standards? Like, if you think about it, like, go back to World War II, Germany kind of held Hitler's standards pretty good for the most part. Like, oh, this is, this is a good thing for our country, right? For At least for a while, these standards were good. And so it's like, by whose standards are good get you to heaven? See, exclusivity is a good thing. Because we don't have to wander around. We can have an assurance that, man, I have found Jesus. I've put on the righteousness of the king, and I'm going to the party. And that is peace in our lives. Peace between God and man. That is what peace is. And we can have that, and we can know that. We don't have to wonder. See, the exclusivity into the party, it is a really good thing. And what's really interesting is this, these concepts of exclusivity and inclusivity coming together, it's, it's what changed the world. It's honestly, it's like what rocked Rome to its core. It's a reason why we don't have like Roman gods really honestly worshiped anymore. Even in that part of the world, there's a reason. And, it, and one of the big reasons is this understanding and this reality of inclusivity and exclusivity. So I was doing some uh, church history study one time. I came, I came across this quote, and it, it's, this is an amazing quote, and this is what it says. It says, the early Christians faced the wrath of Rome because they held together both the inclusive call and the exclusive claim of Jesus. What put Christianity in the crosshairs of Caesar and the Roman authorities was the explosive combination of inclusivity and exclusivity. This little group of people who insisted that the exclusive claims that G, uh, of Jesus is the only way, not the idols of Rome. But they also issued inclusive calls to everyone, regardless of ethnicity, to repent and believe and become part of a new worldwide family. That was the jolt of electricity that shook the Roman Empire, the earthquake that eventually brought down the ancient Roman religions. It wasn't exclusivity on its own or inclusivity on its own, but the creative combination of both that is the thrill of orthodoxy. See, it's this understanding that God's call goes out to everybody, and this is a beautiful thing. That means there's nobody in this room. There's nobody watching online right now. Nobody that doesn't have an invitation to the party. There's nothing you could have done. There's nothing that you could have done to put you on that not to invite list. There is no list to that party. You're not on it. Too often we think like, man, I, you don't know how badly I've screwed up. You don't know what I've done. I'm on the not to invite list. But the reality is that list doesn't exist. The king tells the servants, invite everyone you find. And the truth is, we still have to live that call today, church. If, if we have put on those clothes, we have a job to do, and that is to invite everyone we find. It does not matter. But it is exclusive to get into the party. This quote continues, and it just says, Heresy is always more narrow than orthodoxy. Jesus is doubly offensive to the religious people for his inclusivity and to the world for his exclusivity. I love that. Jesus is doubly offensive. He offends everybody. Doesn't leave anyone out. To the religious for his inclusivity and to the world for his exclusivity. 
It can be offensive to know that someone's invited to the party. Like, let's be honest. That person that's hurt you, that those people that treat you a certain way, to know that they're invited to a part, the party. There is no not to invite list. And it's also, it can be really offensive to, to the believer. Like, in fact, I just read an article, someone on my team sent me this this week, about this pastor that was struggling with his faith. This pastor ready to walk away from his faith because he read and he heard that Jeffrey Dahmer, while in prison, gave his life to Jesus. And actually read like, man, started like, like prison ministry before he was killed. And now he's in heaven, like, oh man, how is that fair? How is that fair? But that invitation, it goes out to everyone, and that can be offensive. And maybe you're in this room today, and you're like, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And to say he's the only way, that seems very offensive to me. But you gotta know, there's one way in the party, but you don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to provide your own clothes. You don't have to provide your own righteousness. All you have to do is put on the righteousness of the king. See, every week we do these things. We call them action steps. They're sitting on your seat right now. I want to invite you to grab those, uh, to take a look at them, because we believe that we should just not hear the word of God and then leave and do nothing about it. We don't want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And so every week we send out a text to people just saying, hey, here's what you said you want to do on your action step. We're praying for you, and, and here's some steps you can take. And so maybe for you, you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've not understood that you are invited and a do not invite list does not exist. Maybe you need to ask yourself, who have I deemed not worthy of an invitation to the party? Maybe you're holding a not to invite list. I want to invite you to get rid of that list and repent for thinking they're people not worthy to be invited to the party. Number three, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's an area in your life you've refused to put on righteousness. Maybe you've just refused to put on the righteousness of the king, or maybe you've put it on, but you kind of left your clothes on underneath because I'm not ready to give this up. Or number four, maybe you need to invite someone to the party this week. Maybe there's someone you just need to invite to this party. Invite them to church next week. If you guys would, go ahead and bow your heads as we close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you that you are inclusive, that everyone gets an invitation. Everyone gets an invitation, God. There's nobody excluded to, to the invitation to this party. But God, thank you that you're exclusive, and it is only through your son that we can get in. We don't have to wonder if we've found our way. We don't have to wonder if we've made it. We don't have to wonder if we're going to be there one day. All we have to do is put on the righteousness of the king. God, thank you that you've provided everything we need to get into this party. We love you, Jesus. You are so good to us. That's in your name we pray. Amen.